We're, we're, going we're having a van picnic. Okay. Biz Seder, ladies, welcome, welcome. Parsha. Parsha's Vayechi. Okay. This is. Parsha Gracious. Could you believe it? Wow. No. Wow. The last Parsha. So, last Parsha in Gracious. So, besides having to get through our whole Parsha, we have to look at Gracious as a whole. This Shabbos, if any of us make it to Shul, and I'm not judging anybody who does or doesn't. Um, uh, when we finish the parsha, if you go to the end, 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 it says, it says, it's going to say, blah, 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 uh, over here, uh, the last pasuk, it says, not the chazan, the Valkyrie is going to read, Vayamas Yosef ben Meavesher Shanim, Vayichantu Yosef Vayisem Ba'aren B'Mitzrayim, and everybody's going to scream. Chazak, chazak. Oh my gosh. <laughs> lame, lame. What are they going to say? Chazak, chazak. You know, we're still, still asleep. What? What? Mazak Hashur. And therefore. <laughs> okay. I'll remember that one though. Okay, so chazak chazak. Ladies, stick with me. So chazak 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 means that we should be strong. We should be strong. We should be strengthened. And there's a whole conversation about well, obviously, why do we say chazak chazak chazak? Who are we talking to? We say to be strong. So a lot of the commentaries talk about we are talking to Torah. We're talking to Torah itself to be strong. Torah Shibachtav, the written Torah, the oral Torah, and the Nitzchazek, and therefore we will be strengthened. But I'm, I'm going to give you a, a we're going to start with a, a plug and a bracha. In case any of us make it to Shul, and I, I do say that with a high degree of skepticism because I don't think I'm planning on, on moving, so I just assume everybody else wants to stay on their couch. Uh, but in case we do, but in case we do, there is an incredible, incredible power being belted out by every single community that you go to. And what they are saying to us is, chazak, 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 to be strong, to be strong, and to be strengthened. And my, my, my bracha to us, whether we actually make it to shul, which is better, or even if you just are sitting at home and thinking the intention, what do I want the blessing of the community to be strengthened in? Because everybody's going to shout out, be strong, be strong, be strengthened. If I think for a second, okay, more than a second, about something in my life that I want to tweak, and I need that extra boost of the whole community cheering me on. They don't have to know what it is. They're not, not asking, you know, don't say, you don't need to say it to anybody. But I will know that they are blessing me, that we are blessing each other to be strong, to be strong, to be strengthened. Let's use that energy. Let's use that power. Something that we've been trying. There's something that we want to do. Not made, not, you know, it doesn't be the major, biggest, most massive thing. Something, a step that I wanted to take that I need a push to get me over the finish line. This is the week that we're, we're, we're literally everybody, even in the calmest little show, they're going to be shouting. So, so take that energy, take that energy and, and say, and, and, and use it. Let it be focused. Let it be. Manifest. 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 Help them manifest what it is that you want to be doing because it's there. The bracha is there. We might as well tap into the energy of it. Okay. So the other thing that we're going to have to do, we're going to do after, uh, we'll do it for a second first. Yeah. We're going to go backwards for a second. Um, 
But the other thing we have to do when we say chazak, when we have chazak, and this is the end of it, we're closing the whole chomish. Well, not the whole chomish. Chomish bracious. We're closing chomish bracious. We have to take a... a losing my words. We have to reflect backwards and we have to say, what is the whole book? What is the whole book teaching us? And what is the whole book speaking to us? It's not just this Parsha. We also have the whole book that we need to reflect back on. So, um, so what, so two things I want to say, the book of Beratius is called in the, in, it's not called Beratius in the Gemara and by the, by the Chachamim, it's called Sefer Yashar, which we've discussed the book of the upright, the people who walk upright with God, and it goes from creation all the way to the formation of, the, of the, what will be the Jewish people, right? We start with, you know, in the beginning, there was, uh, there was nothing and God created heaven and earth. And it finishes off with the, the tribes coming down to Egypt, the beginning of their exodus and, the, and the, really the, the beginning of the Jewish people, the formation of what will become the Jewish people. We could argue whether they are the Jewish people, whether they're not the Jewish people, but this will definitely become the Jewish people and that growth process. And one of the things that we're actually going to see in this week's Parsha are the first brothers that are actually going to get along. <laughs> it's going to happen in this week's Parsha. Um, and so, and so, so in this place, I think when we, when we talk about how we walk with God, this is the way we want to do it. Not like this, like this. We're proud Jewish women. We have a relationship with Hashem. We're walking tall. We're walking strong. We're proud of who we are. We're working on who we are. This is what Gracious is teaching us. Where you are taking the this big world creation, and we're really bringing it into what does it mean to us, the Jewish people. So I want to give us all a bracha that we, you know, not that we find our spine. We have our spine, but to, to not be afraid to use it, to not be afraid to stand up tall and straight and say, this is who I am. And this is what I believe. And this is where I'm going. And this is my relationship with God. And to be blessed when we do that, when we can say, this is it, this is who I am, to take a, a, a taste from the Sefer Yashar and to really bring a little bit into our own life. So now let's go into our Parsha. Parsha's Vayichi, okay? You gotta open your chumash for this, because Rose, you're not too flying. One of the things you may or may not have noticed in general when you look through a chumash on the Hebrew side, that it is scattered with random hays and samachs. Did anybody ever notice that? Yeah. Right? There are these random, like at the end of a verse, you're gonna find a pay, you're gonna find a samach. Of course, right now I can't show you an example because. Okay, you got one? Give me a chapter and a verse. Um, then that power at the end. Mem, of course, I can't find anything. Yeah, it's, it's right before. It's right before. It's Mem Zayn. It's right before Mem Chetalif. It's right before Mem Chetalif. The end of Mem Zayn. It's Sometimes in that chumash, it's hard to figure out where, where it's coming and going. Okay, so you're going to find pays and samachs sprinkled all throughout the chumash. And what it is, you're too far. Uh, there's going to be a bunch of them. You're going to find lots of pays and samachs. And what pays and samachs are, it's a sign to us that says, tucha or stuma. It is open or it is closed. In a safer Torah, we know there are no chapters and verses. There are no, there's no... There's no, you know, numbers of, of uh, anything. So when an idea is finished, the, there is a specific amount of spacing that goes on before the next idea starts. 
So Ptucha means that it's open. I believe that there's a space of nine letters and that could happen any place in the line. And Stuma is a smaller amount, but it's not no spaces, okay? Now, if you take a look and you go back to the end of Parsha's Vayigash, right? We would expect if there is a Parsha ending, there should be a letter there. There should be, Pei is Ptucha and Samach is Stuma. Ptucha is like a space of like nine letters, I think. And Stuma, I think is three. I don't remember exactly. And it tells you how many spaces the, the cipher leaves in a Sefer Torah. When he writes the Torah scroll, how many spaces does he leave between this idea and the next idea? So Pei means there are more spaces and Samach means there are less spaces. Now, if you look at the end of Vayigash, what would we expect to find at the end of Vayigash? It has to have either a Pei or a Samach because a Parsha is ending and a new Parsha is finishing. No, Parsha is ending and a new Parsha is starting. But look back in your Chobish and tell me what you see at the end after chapter 47, verse 27. What do you see there? Nothing, nothing. There is nothing. If you actually look in a Torah scroll, there is no space between last week's Parsha and this week's Parsha. It just continues. There's no three spaces. There's no nine spaces. There's no space there at all. And we're going to look into Rashi. We're going to look into Rashi, our first Rashi of our Pasuk. And we're going to, and Rashi asks, Lama Parsha Zustuma. Why is this Parsha closed? Okay. And it's closed, 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 not a small space. It has no space. So that is called uh, a totally closed Parsha. And Rashi says, Once the part, sorry, once Yaakov, our forefather, passed away, the eyes and the hearts of the Jewish people were closed because of the exile because of the, 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 the pain of the, of the exile, because that's when they start to enslave them. Another, another thing that Rashi says, Yaakov wanted to give to his children the end of time. Uh, and it was taken away from him. And that's from the gracious rabbi, that's from the Medrash. So Rashi's going to give us two things. So the first thing I want to tell you is, A, yesh there is such a thing of spaces in the Torah. This is the only Parsha that has no spaces. So it's considered totally closed. We know that a new Parsha started because we have a break of from Moshe. So that's how we know that it's going to happen. But in a Torah, there is no symbol. There's no place for this. What does this mean? So I'm going to talk, we're going to start, we're going to talk about the second thing that Rashi does, that Rashi brings now. And I will bring you, and I will get back to the first thing he says, but remind me if I don't, because it's towards the end of the Parsha. Okay. So what does it mean? So Yaakov's now, it's at the end of his life. Okay, it's talking about Vayichi Yaakov. He lived in, in Yaakov for 17 years, and it tells us he lived for 147 years. He's at the end of his life, and he wants to start putting his affairs in order. And the first thing he wants to do is he calls all his children. He wants to, Rashi says, he wants to tell them, when is the case? When is this going to end? When is this Gullus going to end? There's a whole debate on the version. Did he want to tell them when they were leaving Egypt? Did he want to tell them when they were leaving the final egg, you know, the final Gullus, what was he wanting? What, what was he wanting? Because that didn't make sense in English. What did he want to tell them? But Hashem took away his Ruch HaKodesh and, does, and, and basically is telling him, you cannot share this information. Now, why does Yaakov have this information? Yaakov has this information because we discussed this briefly last week. Mitzrayim was not, a, was not an exile for him. Yaakov had his best years in Egypt. Everything was fantastic. The family was united. They were learning. He was learning Torah with his grandchildren. 
the Medrash tells us that Yosef's son's son used to come and learn with his grandfather. He stayed in Goshen. He learned with his grandfather. Like this was ultimate nachas from a child who disappeared for 22 years. He did not think he was ever going to see him again. And now to be learning Torah with that child's child. Wow. This Yaakov's time in Egypt was amazing. It was, so Rashi says the best years of his life. Yaakov, sorry, Egypt for Yaakov is not a challenge. It's not his exile. He is, you know, Hashem, last week's partial, which we pointed out, that Hashem says to, Hashem says to Yaakov when he's going down and he's afraid, he says, don't be afraid. Yossi is going to put his hands over your eyes. You're going to be shielded from everything negative. You're not going to see anything bad. You're going to just have an, it's going to be amazing for you. So because it's not his exile, he knows when it's going to end. What is the definition of exile? The definition of exile is, how long is it going to be? You know, we have a friend. He was trying out for special forces in the Israeli army. And, um, and at one point they told them, um, start crawling. They didn't say crawl for five days, crawl for a hundred days, crawl for five miles. They didn't say anything, start crawling, start crawling, you know? Um, and, uh, and he said the worst part was the not knowing. Tell me I have to do this for, for five days. I'll pace myself. It's going to be long. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be whatever. But it's going to be, you know, I know how it's going to end. I know I, know I have to pace myself for five days of crawling, right? But the not knowing makes it very hard. And he said what actually happened in their, in their group was that one of the boys said, I quit. I can't do this. And as soon as he said that, they're like, okay, everybody can go off now. Because they were trying, they needed, they were trying to get somebody, they needed to like cut down the number. I don't know exactly what the, the, the logic of it was. They had to cut down the numbers. They had too many people who were sticking it out to the end. As soon as one person quit, everybody else was off. You know, they didn't have to, they, they crawled for five meters and they were all off. Gullis is not knowing. If, the, if, if Yaakov's sons had known that we are going to be in Gullis for 200 years, it would have been terrible but they would have had an end. They would have known where it was going to end. And the knowledge of the end makes it a little bit less terrible. It makes it a little bit less terrible. Meaning I'm not going to see it in my lifetime, my children, but you could, you could, you could give hope. You could pace yourself. And then as soon as the children have that, it's not a goal for them anymore. As soon as they have the end date, it's not a goal anymore. Now, Yaakov doesn't get this part of the conversation. He's like, oh my gosh, what happened? Probably probably my family is following the pattern that I had by my father and my grandfather. My father and my grandfather both had one amazingly righteous child and one child who was really not. So perhaps that is what the issue is here, that one of these 12 boys who are standing around my bed now are in fact not so righteous. And when they realize that the Gemara brings us, brings this whole conversation, when they realize that um, what his, that he, I don't know. I don't know. The Gemara doesn't say how they knew what he was thinking. I don't think he said to them, uh, is everybody here? You know, like what's the, pro what's everybody's, you know, is everybody still with the program? I don't think he said that, but the Gemara brings this conversation when they realized what he was thinking, they all said to him as one person, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Achad. They were talking to Yisrael, their father, and they said, listen, Yisrael, listen, our father, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Achad. We all have the same God. We all are sharing the same God. And when Yaakov hears that, he responds with, 
Baruch Shev Kavod Malchusalolamvad. And according to the Gemara, this is the first recording of the Shema. We know we're going to have it in the Chumash, it's going to come in a couple of Chumashim. It's not coming yet. But, but according to the Gemara, this is the first time we have this interaction. It's the first time we have the Shema. It's a conversation, an intergenerational conversation. And one of the, one of the things that, you know, more modern, the more modern commentaries talk about, that we really have two relationships, two relationships with Shema. We have the, the, the Yaakov conversation where Shema is reaffirming our familial connection to Hashem and, and that generational continuity. And, 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 um, and where Moshe brings Shema, it's about accepting the oneness of Hashem and, you know, the bigger global, the global picture. And, and, and really we have to look into both of those things. When we say Shema, we have to both, we have to have both of those things. Yes, we're accepting Hashem, the God, the King of all the everything, the Hashem of the seven heavens and the earth and the four corners of the world, which we talk about, but also like, Elokeinu, my God, Shema Yisrael, like I, I'm in this relationship and we really have both of those things. Parenthetically, I'll take your question in a second, Rivka, but parenthetically, you know, the Gemara, they have the question of, of and when we say Shema on a day, on all the, I'm literally losing my words. When we say Shema on a daily basis, um, we say Baruch Shem uh, quietly. We don't say it out loud because the Gemara asked the question, Yaakov said it out loud, Moshe didn't say it at all, what do we do? So the, the compromise is that we say, if we say it under our breath, except for one time a year, when? On Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, we, bet we go back into either the angelic state, which is what we all talk about, or the, or the Yaakov state of going and, and, and saying it out loud. Baruch Shem Kivod, blessed is your name. Baruch Shem Kivod, blessed is the name of Hashem. I got to look inside. I can't remember, but I can't, I can't translate it and say it. Baruch Shem Kivod, blessed is your glorious name forever and ever. Right? Glorious, the, name of your the name of your glorious kingdom, what she said. Okay, so that's 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 the beginning of our parsha. Our parsha is going to deal mainly with Yaakov, Yaakov's final time. It's not so clear how long it's going to be. It's going to be a week or is whatever. Da da da. But it's it's a, it's it's a short like that's the main the bulk of our parsha. The first thing that happens is that he calls Yosef. And he says to him to please do not bury me in Egypt. Do not bury me in Egypt. Please take me back to where? Where? Hebron. Hebron. Exactly. Take me back to, to the land of Canaan. Bury me in the Maras of Machpelah. And he asked, he asked Yosef to swear that he's in fact going to do that. Um, and Yosef does agree to it. What's interesting, if you're following along with me, chapter 48 picks up, meaning we have this, this interaction that Yaakov asks Yosef to bury him over there and he swears. And then we have that Yosef finds out that his father is, is sick and he brings his children, he brings his children to get blessed by his father. And, um, and then um, in that interaction, in that interaction, he, um, First, he let, let's go through in a second, so I don't, so I make a little bit of sense, okay? So Yosef says, yeah, he hears that his father's sick. If you're following Memches, um, he takes his two children, Menashe and Ephraim, and Yaakov hears that Yosef's coming with his children, and he strengthens himself, and he he sits himself up, and he starts. Yaakov starts giving him some history that Hashem appeared to me in Luz, and he blessed me, and he said that I'm I'm going to make you very multiple uh, multiple. No, that doesn't make sense. 
I'm like you a lot. I don't know. Somebody look for the better English, and I'm going to make you for uh, for a kahal amim. I'm going to make you to a, a, a group of nations, and I'm going to give you this land. And then he says, Yaakov says to Yosef, basically, but the, the the tell that you're going to be when Hashem said that you're going to be kahal amim, uh, Yaakov took that to mean that he was going to have two more tribes born, and he only had one more. Only Binyamin was born after that that blessing that Hashem gave him, and so Yaakov is essentially telling Yosef. I promised two and I only got one. And so what I'm going to do in verse five, the two children who were born to you till we got here, before the family came here, they're mine. Ephraim and Manasha are going to be like my children. That means I'm taking Ephraim and Manasha. I'm supposed to get two more. I only got one more. So I'm going to take you're, I'm going to basically split you. So you, I already have. If I take one more of you, does that make sense? The numbers make sense? Somebody's following the math? I promise two. I promise two. I had 10. I promised two. I had one more. So now, so they're going to be, no, what's going to happen is Ephraim and Menasha are going to step out of Yosef. Yosef is going to split into Ephraim and Menasha. So we're going to have this number of 12 where Yosef is not included and he's going to be, and they're going to be part of it. Now we know that whenever Yosef is not included, the tribe of Levi is also not included. I mean, whether Levi is the decider or Yosef is the decider, whenever something happens and we need to pull Levi out, Yosef gets split. Okay. So, for example, when I know you, I'm going to give you for example to make more sense, the tribe of Levi does not get territory in the land of Israel because they're Kohanim. So, so the Torah says very clearly because Hashem is your portion, you don't get a portion of the land of Israel. Where do they live? They live in they live in this the cities of refuge. There are cities that are set up for the there are cities that were really? yes the city. I didn't realize they were populated cities. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, don't let me. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get back no, to your okay. Let me get your second. Um, so what happens is the tribe of Levi doesn't get a portion of the land of Israel. We have to split the land into twelve because twelve is our number. Twelve is the number. The zodiac is twelve. There's twelve axes for the earth. It's it's all coming back to the same source. Twelve tribes. It's all. The same thing. So how do we have 12 if Levi isn't getting territory? Yosef doesn't get territory as Yosef. He gets territory as Menashe and Ephraim. Okay, so they actually get a double portion of the land of Israel. Yosef gets a double portion. So on, on the sea split, and then every tribe had their own portion, and Levi had their own portion? Then Levi had a portion, so then Yosef goes as one. Okay. Menashe and Ephraim, when Levi is in, Yosef is one. When Levi is out, Yosef is out, and Menashe and Ephraim are in. And we're going to have it at the end of the Parsha. When, we, when it comes time to bury Yaakov, and Yaakov says, Yosef doesn't carry because he's the king, and, and Levi doesn't carry because he's going to serve, he's going to carry the ark, Menashe and Ephraim come in. Okay, so they're going to be, they're, they're the only grandchildren who have the status of tribes. Now, how often do they have the status of tribes, and where does it show up? So we know for the division of the land, it definitely shows up. And the question of Otherwise, how does it show up? I don't know, 100% sure, okay? We start to answer your question, where do the Levites live? Every single tribe had to set aside cities within their territory for cities for the Levites. They each had to set aside, I think, seven cities. Of those seven, of those, whatever, uh, of those cities that each, if each, I think that's set aside seven. Of those seven that were set aside, 48 were designated as, as cities of refuge. The Levites lived in all of those cities, and actually any city of the Levites 
uh, could act as a city of refuge, not only the official cities of refuge. Different story, different conversation. Just another random, interesting fact, as, as Rachel says, fun fact, every single city that the tribes had to set aside for the Levites had a green belt around it. There was a, 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 an area of two mil, which is, I don't know if it's exactly two miles, whatever the halachic thing is, a, a green belt around, around each city, a belt, a green belt. A green area. What? A belt. A belt. Like grass? Yeah. They had green area. Trees, grass, whatever. It was not, you were not allowed to build houses there. Around each city. It was two miles wide? Be, beyond the, the, two mil. Two mil is not exactly two miles. But beyond each city, there was green space. You look very confused. Were they cities, like, it was all green space except for the cities, no? Yeah, but what? But if I, but if my city ends at this at this border, why can't I build right next to it? The next city does that space is protected area, and you're not allowed to build houses in it. That's what it means by a green belt. To keep the cities from expanding. To keep greener, uh, you could you could argue a hundred different reasons why there was why it was like that. I'm I'm having a hard time picturing it. You're saying the city would end, and then there there was and then there was a space. I think two mil past the city boundaries as all around that you couldn't build up. For every city? Or? The cities of the Levites, the Levite cities. The cities that were designated for the Levites could, had to have like a green belt around them. If you ask me my personal opinion, I think like there's this place where it doesn't become this like claustrophobic, like, uh, you know. First environmental. Exactly, exactly. So like Rachel says, fun fact. So good question. Yes. So the Kohanim come from the family of they come from Levi. The Kohanim only come from Aaron. The tribe of Levi, Levi has three sons. Of those three sons, most of them are Levites. Of one son, of Kahas, one of those children, Aaron, have the Kohanim come from him. Okay, so the Kohanim only come from Aaron. Correct. They don't come from Aaron and Moshe. They only come from Aaron. Um, and, but they're all under the subheading of Levi. So Kohanim and Levi all live in these cities. They don't have their own cities. Oh, Kohanim, Kohanim and Levium. Yeah, where else are they going to live? They're, meaning they're Kohanim. Kohanim were in the base. No, they, they had turns where they worked in the base of Mikdash. Once, once, the, once the community got bigger, meaning when you had, you know, Aaron and his two sons, like they were on duty all the time, but once the community got bigger, they had Mishmarot. They had week. Each family had a week that they did service in the base of Mikdash, except for like the high hot, like not the high hot, it's like the Shalash Regalim, when it was so many people coming. All hands on deck. Anybody who wanted to come could come. They talk of the Gemara has a whole discussion about carbon Pesach, how you, the lines of the Kohan and the Levium and how they were doing the service. It was like you needed a lot, a lot of people there. But regular, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, like the, not a holiday. It was just a, one family was on was on call for that week. Like rotation. rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called Mishmeret. It's called a, a who watching. Organized who organized it? Was um, it like on a piece of paper? Mm, I don't know. I will look into that for you. I don't know who organized the Mishmarot. I'm going to just write this down because I'm never going to remember. Does anybody have a scrap of paper that I could write on? Thank you. I've learned not to trust my memory for anything. Who organized? Okay. Okay. I don't know. Good question. Okay. And then, and then, um 
And then after he's like talking about this, that, that Menashe and Ephraim are part of the tribes, he goes into when I was coming back from Padan Aram, Mesa Lai Rachel, Rachel passed away. She was in the land of Canaan and I just buried her on the side and, and um, I buried her there. And, and he said, and, and, and he, Rashi says that Yaakov was saying to Yosef, like, I know you have hard feelings to me. Like here I am asking you to do this massive effort to take my body from Egypt to the land of Canaan. Your mother passes away on the road and I can't even get her to Mars Machpela. Like, I know you have hard feelings to me about this. And so we're gonna discuss that for a second, but what's interesting is that this is not the logical place for that conversation to have been. The logical place to, for Yaakov to have said this to Yosef was when he says to him, take me to, take me to the land of Canaan and bury me there. That's the place where he should have said, and I know that you have these feelings that I didn't do this for your mother and I didn't put that for your mother and I'm, and I'm doing it and I'm asking you to do this for me, right? It seems like there's, there's this like a bracket stuck in the middle of this conversation where he claims Menashe and Ephraim for himself. And it's kind of weird. And I don't 100% have a good answer for it. He interrupts himself. It, it looks like he's interrupting himself. Here, could you please take me to the land of Canaan, bury me there? Oh, these children are mine. And, you know, I know you feel bad because I didn't bury mother. I didn't take her to Mars Machpel. I buried her on the side. So there's almost like this brackets in there, which we have to. And, and so a lot of the commentators want to talk about that the that the brackets are in the other place, that the the explanation of Rachel is more tied to the taking of Ephraim and Menashe than to the request for Yosef. Why? Because we know that Rachel was, she wasn't the first wife that he married, but he was, she was the Akarit Bai. She was the mainstay of his house. And we know that the, the generally speaking, the Hawacha is that the Bukhar, the firstborn, gets. Anybody? Anybody remember? What does Bukhar get? Double portion. A, du- a double portion. A bhar gets a double portion. That means somebody passes away and they have five children. They divide their estate into six. Halakhically, you don't have to do this with all your money. It's a, it's a different conversation. We're not going to take the time now, but officially you're supposed to divide your estate into six. The bhar gets two and everybody else gets one. So a lot of them Farshim say that the taking of Ephraim and Manasha into the tribes is giving Rachel's children the double portion. Because she was his main wife. Was, Rach, was Yosef the, the first child? No, Reuven was the first child. But Rachel is getting the rights of the Bukhar. And so some of them, unfortunately, talk about that. There's a lot of other, there's a lot of other conversation. I'm not going to get into the whole conversation about all different other stuff. That I thought that was just one nice thing over there. Um, and then, and then, and now he's back to the, now he's going back to the boys again. Okay, now he's going back to the boys again. He wants to know who they are. And Yosef gets nervous. What do you mean? Who are they? You've been learning with my son for the last 17 years. Um, and, um, and so Rashi says that he brought his ketubah. He showed that these children were legitimate. And, and again, Rashi, Rashi brings that there was a place where Yaakov lost his prophecy when he saw these children. He wanted to give them blessings and he lost his prophecy, which made him nervous. And he was looking long-term. Atzadik doesn't just look at the children who are standing in front of him. He was looking long-term and he saw that from each of these children, there were going to be very, very, very terrible people coming out. 
very, very terrible people. Um, and Yosef essentially says to him, Yosef's answer is to him, Yosef's answer, if you see in verse 10, in verse 9, Yosef says, These are these are my children, Asher Nasani, Elokim Baza Hashem gave them to me. And then he says, take them, he's take, he says, take them and bless them. And really what Yosef is telling Yaakov is that we cannot be held responsible for what's going to happen in 10 generations. Do the people standing in front of you right now deserve a blessing? Yes. His, your vision is showing you that Menasha is going to come from them and Acha is going to go. They're going to have terrible, terrible, terrible people come from them. But that does not discount the fact that they are deserving of a blessing. And you know, things can, may change, they may not change, but you don't lose your right to be blessed because of what's going to happen years in the future. It's just, that's not, you know, and then Yaakov in fact does, he is in fact going to bless them and tells us that, that, ya- that Yisrael's eyes are, are, are like, they're, it's hard for him to see, he can't see, and he, he kisses them and he hugs them. And then if you, you know, somebody once asked me, we're, I don't have, we had this conversation about like art projects in, in, in uh, Jewish uh, day, daycare, the, the project that every single child in a Jewish daycare system or kindergarten this week would be some version of hands with a, what are those things called? How do you make the clocks move? How do you make, what's that? It's like a, a fastener and the, and the hands are movable. Right, because now we're going to come to this very famous scene of Yaakov blessing Menashe and Ephraim, and the Torah goes to a lot of length, many, many psukim, how Yosef takes the takes Menashe on his left, which is his father's right, and he takes Ephraim on his left, which is his father's on his right, which is his father's left. They're facing each other. Yaakov and Yosef are facing each other, right? So he takes. Menasha on his left, so it's his father's right. He takes his, he takes a prime on his right, which is his father's left. I hope I don't offend any of the lefties. Do we have any lefties in this room? Um, the right in Judaism is considered the more dominant, more dominant hand. That's why we talk about mitzvahs are always, we always start with the right. It's the chesed side, if, you know, if you look from Kabbalah. And so what, what's, so Yosef sets up the children so that it's easy for Yaakov to go like this and bless the oldest child we get the right-hand bracha and the younger child who get the left-hand bracha, okay? And what does Yaakov do? Sikeles Yagav crosses his hands and he puts his right hand on the younger son and his left hand on the, on the older son. And Yosef says, no, 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 dad. <laughs> no, dad, that's not how it's supposed to go. And, he's, and, and the Pesach says that he tried, Yosef, Yosef, oh, no, 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 um, one second. Over here, in Shlishi, in, in verse 17, Yosef sees that he put the hands in there and he says, no, he says, uh, he says to his father, that is not what you're supposed to do. Put your right hand on top of his hand, on top of his head, on his head, right? And Yaakov says, I know what I'm doing. Yadati bini Yadati. I know what's going on here. I know I know what the score is. He's going to be great, but his brother's going to be greater than him. I want to sit on this for a second. Um, a couple of things. First of all, I'm just trying to keep things organized in my head so that everything makes sense. Um, one could say, 
you know, if Yaakov knows the score and says, you know, you're the, the younger one's going to be the greater one, why would he not just tell Yosef, switch the kids around? Put the right, the younger kid on my right side, put the older kid on my left side. So it's easier for him. So Rav Druk says, because that would be, have been very, very embarrassing for Menasha. Menasha is the older son. And to say, switch places. So Yaakov, who's 147 years old and on his deathbed, is still aware that I'm not going to insult or, you know, shame my grandson, my grandson. I will inconvenience myself. Could you imagine having to hold your hands long enough like this to give a bracha? It's not easy. It's not easy for me. And I'm not 147 years old. You know, I would rather inconvenience myself than shame this child by saying, oh, no, no, I got to switch this around. So that's one thing, which is a very interesting thing, I think, to think about. Stam, as Rachel says, fun fact, who's going to come from, from Ephraim, who's going to be the greater? No, Ruth is not. Ruth is going to, is, comes from Moab. Mm-hmm. Who comes from, who is going to be the leader that comes from Ephraim that is going to be, that Yaakov's like, wow, shining, shining star? Mm-hmm. Nope. Joshua. Yeshua comes from Ephraim. Yeshua is going to come from Ephraim. And Yeshua is going to have power. We know in, in the Navi talks about during the war, he stops the sun. He does that as with, with the, his power as a son of Yosef. He's like Ephraim, who Yeshua is going to come from him. Enkimo, Enkimo Yoshua. There's going to be nobody ever. There's Moshe, Yoshua, and like that was like, the, the, the two biggest, whatever, you know, prophets that we're going to ever have. So because Yeshua comes from Ephraim, he's going to be the greater one. There's a, there's a, there's a Torah from the Degel Machan Ephraim, who is a grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. He's, he's the son of the Baal Shem Tov's daughter. And I don't remember his name and it's, I should have written it down, but I thought I was going to remember. And guess what? I didn't remember. But he wrote a sefer called the Degel Machan Ephraim. And in this sefer, he writes... Um, in this about this particular area, that um, what is the source of their names? Remember Menashe and Ephraim. What is the source of their names? Right, Menashe was Kinashani Elokim es beisavi v'esamalai that Hashem made me forget everything and all the pain and the trauma of of what I was where I was growing up. And Ephraim's kihifrani, Hashem made me fruitful. Hashem made me, made me multiply and I was able to be productive and everything. So the Degelmach and Ephraim brings a play on the words. And he says that Menasha is Nashani Elokim. The Tzadik is looking at somebody who forgot God. It's that, meaning the original translation that Hashem made me forget my family and whatever. Degelmach and Ephraim says, we look at somebody and we look at them and we say, Nashani Elokim, this is somebody who's forgotten God. They've lost their way. They're not so connected. You know, we, you know, involved on those, those, those projects, you know, somebody holds up a picture with a dot on it and what do you see? And everybody says, I see the dot. Right? Nobody sees the big, white, clean place. You walk into a room that's neat. You never say, wow, this, neat. this room is so neat. You walk into a room that has three things out of place, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's a mess, right? That's the Menasha headspace. The forgetting, the, the not being lined up with purpose. And that's often what we see first. That's what we see first. Menasha is actually born first. 
that's our, our inclination is that we see that first. And the Ephraim, that being productive and being growing and doing and being, you know, that's not what we do. We don't always, we look at somebody, we don't automatically see their positive points and their growth and their deliciousness. We see, oh, keeping me up at night. I can't, I have to say, you know, the, couldn't you do this? Couldn't you? And it's, and the Degel Machina Farm says, that's human nature. That's human nature that when we look and, and really Menasha came first, Menasha was the firstborn, but what do we need to do? We need to switch our hands. If our right hand is our dominant way of looking, we need to look at our, I'm adding, because he says about another person, we need to look at ourselves. We need to look at our children. We need to look at people in our, in our sphere of influence. We need to put our right hand on their growth. We need to put our right hand on their Ephraim and say, Kalakod, you did great. This is amazing. You know, when we see it, we bring more of it. We have to train ourselves to put our right hand on Ephraim and our left hand on Menasha. Things that need to be fixed, things that need to be helped, things that need to be changed, things that need to be tweaked. We're not ignoring it. See, because we're not saying it doesn't exist. We're not saying everything's rosy and wonderful. We have no issues. But what do we see first? What's our first inclination? The kid comes in and they drop their bet. I'm talking to myself because this actually happened in my house multiple times, including yesterday. Kid comes in the house, drops their bag in the middle of the floor. Is the first, is the first word out of my mouth. I'm so happy to see you or pick up your bag. Right? That's what that's what the Degamachan, that's what I think the Degamachan Ephraim is saying. We need to be able to first of all look and say, we have to see the good, we have to see the positive. We also have to deal with it, we also have to deal with the negative. We can't just say they're wonderful, they have no issues. I'm not saying that, but what do we see first? What do we highlight? What do we shine? What do we shine a light on and say we want more of this? We need to do it for the positive. Um, I had a thought that flew out of my head. Oh, but, but in case we want, so then you say, why we should just ignore Menasha. We should just ignore him. Then maybe it'll go away. So he says that our growth comes from our place of brokenness, from the place where we stepped away, from the place where we forgot God. When we build on that and we come back, then we really have Ephraim. Menasha is the first. Menasha is the Bukhar. There is that place where our growth really does come from that place of, yeah, you know, that's the point of falling, that we pull ourselves together and we come back to a better and a stronger place. Our goal isn't shocking, but true, is not to have never fall. That's not the goal. The goal is like, when we fall, can we shake ourselves up and can we, can we shake ourselves off and can we get up and can we, can we continue? Because that's the test. And that's really what he's saying that from, from Menasha, you get to a prime and from that place of, we did forget about God. We forgot Hashem. We forgot how beautiful we are in his eyes. We forgot all those things. But when we remember, then we come back and we're so beautiful and so strong and so powerful. And that's really where we need to uh, kind of focus that a little bit. So that was, you know, I usually have a brach on it, but I'm, I'm just like, I'm just flying. So I'm like, I wanted to really, I really want to bless all of us 
that we tap into our Ephraim. It's so easy. It's so easy to see the things that we don't do right. It's, it's, I don't know why it is, but I know we've discussed this before. It's, it's just so easy to see the things that we didn't do properly. And I want to give us a bracha that we look at ourselves with kind eyes and we look at ourselves and see the things that we're able to do. The things we need to tweak, we need to tweak. Okay, tweak it. I'm not saying not to, but first and foremost, look at ourselves as beautiful, capable women who are able, and then we're, in, then we're motivated to tweak. If, if we're just terrible people, why would we want to change anything? It's like, give me some more chocolate cake, right? But if we are, but if we are strong and capable and beautiful, and we want to do, and we, we do so much good, and we have, then, then, then I'm inspired to pick up you know, where I'm slacking off, like that I, it gives me inspiration to, to pick up. So I want to, I want to give us all that bracha really to, to see that we are amazing and that Tashem, each and every one of us is beyond value, beyond value. And we should be able to see ourselves like that also. You know, I said to Sarah, somebody said, I said, happy birthday. Somebody said, oh, it's your birthday today. I'm like, no, but I woke up. So doesn't that get to, you know, does that count as a birthday a little bit? So I'm sharing Sarah's birthday from that. It's not my birthday. Though. Um, and then we have, and then we have, so, so that's one. Then the other thing we have over here is that Hash, not Hashem, and Yaakov says to Yosef, in addition, that when people want to, first of all, the brach the that he actually gives from Menashe and Ephraim is very famous. Hamal Chagol, you see the angel who guarded me should, and I should bless these children and he should, he should call my father's names and they should multiply like fish in the in the midst of the earth whatever they have they get a beautiful bracha and then um and then Hashem, and then Yaakov also says that when people want to bless their children they are going to use Menashe and Ephraim to bless them right when we bless male children what do we say anybody what do we say yeah. and to a girl we say Right. So, to, so when when we want to bless our 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 male children, we say that God should make you like a frame in Menasha. And I want to. And first of all, we put a frame before Menasha, um, which is how how Yaakov did it. But I want to also highlight here a thing that we spoke about that ya- Menasha and Ephraim were the two, the only two children, grandchildren who were born away from the family, and they were able to be proud, strong Jews, even without the family around them. And that is what real, the, the blessing that we're really giving our children, that no matter where you are, no matter what circumstances you find yourselves in, no matter where you are, no matter what you do, you have the ability to really be productive, to really be amazing and to really shine. It doesn't matter. You could, we could come up with a 500 excuses of why we aren't capable of living up to our potential. But Menashe and Ephraim tell us if they could do it, we could do it. They grew up in Egypt with no family, with nothing. Like, yeah, they grew up with their parents, but there was no support system at all. And they were able to be strong, proud Jews. There's no reason why we can't do it, no matter where we are, no matter what we, where we live. Okay. Uh, the next thing that happens is that Yaakov calls all his, his sons and he gives them all blessings. We're not going to go through all the blessings because we have four minutes left. Um, he, some of the blessings don't actually seem like blessings. Reuven and Shimon and Levi, he kind of tells them off. He's, he says Reuven is impetuous and, and Shimon and Levi, which is so interesting, you know, be, because it's like very modern uh, psychological behavior, you know, thought. But Yaakov says to them, 
way before modern psychology. He says he says to to Shimon and Levi, uh, Aurora Pam, cursed is your anger. He talks he talks about their anger. He doesn't talk about them being bad. He says that your anger uh, is is uh, gets you into trouble. When we talk about you know not labeling a child, label the behavior. So Yaakov led the way for us on that one. Goes through all the children, gives them all different blessings. He gives long long blessings to Yehuda and to Yosef. And at the end of this, he um, he uh, at the end of this he uh, at the end of this he he sort of comes into himself, and he it doesn't actually say that he passes away. One second, let me find the end where he. Uh, so, chapter forty nine, verse thirty three, Yaakov finishes giving you know his 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 um, he finishes giving his his blessings to all his children. And he gathers in his legs and he sort of expires and he is gathered unto his people. Um, and, it's, and Rashi points out that it doesn't actually say that he died. The Yaakov, so he says, that Yaakov never actually passes away. And Rashi, Rashi clarifies, as long as his children are alive and living in his way, so too. So he is also alive. Um, um, actually, Rashi doesn't say that. Other people say that. I forgot. I'm sorry. Um, that as long as his children are living in his way, then he continues to live. Um, I want to. Uh, okay. And then there's a whole how they go about taking him and they bury him. There's a whole conversation which we missed. The Egyptians, uh, the Egyptians embalm him and they take him up to they 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 get him up with great pomp and ceremony. Um, Jacob actually set up exactly how he should be carried and who should carry him on what side. And years later, when the Jews are going to be in the desert and they set up their their encampment in the desert, they're going to copy the the directions that Yaakov gave. So when he said, you know, Reuven and Shimon and not Levi, Reuven, Shimon and Don, I think, whatever the directions are, I forgot. I usually have this in my, the easy ones to know is Ephraim, Menashe, Ephraim, Ephraim and Menashe, Ephraim and Benjamin have one side. He gave everybody the sides. When the Jews are actually going to set up their camp in the desert, they're going to copy that uh, that that formation, um, and um, and they take them up. Yosef doesn't carry. Levi doesn't carry. So one of the questions that we started off is of you know the the, the question that gets asked is why does Yosef why do Yosef and Levi not carry Yaakov? Why are they not? Why are they not part of this? Such a mitzvah to you know help you know your, your parent get buried, and because the beginning we say that when Yaakov passes away, the exile gets worse. So Yosef and Levi, who do not experience exile in Egypt, cannot be part of the procession that carries him out. They cannot be part of the procession that makes the exile worse. Meaning Yosef's not going to be involved, and the tribe of Levi doesn't end up doing any of the work. They never, they never signed up for servitude. They never end up working. So they're not allowed to be part of the, you know, making the gullus worse for anybody. And then they come back. And then when they, when they come back, there's a whole incident with Yosef and his brothers, which you don't have time. I want to finish the Parsha and say that uh, Yosef tells his children, tells his brothers, and he tells his children, we're going to go all the way to the end of the Parsha, that uh, chapter tw- uh, chapter 50, verse 24, Yosef says to his brothers, I'm going to die. He actually dies the first of all the brothers. He dies, he's 110 years old. So he is king 
we talked about for 80 years, right? He becomes king at, at 30. So he's king for 80 years. He's king for over 50 years after his father passes away. Tells his brothers that I am going to pass away. And he says, Hashem is going to, uh, Hashem is going to remember you and he's going to take you out of here um, to the land that he promised to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And he makes them swear. And he says, uh, when, you, when Hashem remembers you, you should please take me out of here with you. Um, parenthetical and spoiler for next week. When Moshe is going to come back to redeem the Jewish people, he's going to use that expression of pakod yifkod. Because when, when Yosef tells his brothers, Hashem will surely remember, he is in effect telling them that the Redeemer will come and he will have to have these code words. If somebody comes to take you out and does not use these words, they are not the real McCoy and do not follow them. So when Moshe comes, he's in fact going to use that same expression. And the other thing is that Yosef, and this is such a powerful thing, Yosef, who is the king of Egypt for 80 years, King, second in command, whatever. He was a big, big shot there. He tells his children to tell their children that when you leave, take me with you. That you look at me and you say, you have reached the height of power in this country. You are so entrenched. And still, this is not my home. This is not where I'm going to be. This is not where I'm going to be staying. And if that's true of Yosef, how much more true is that going to be for all the other Jews in the land of the, in the land of Egypt? In case we want to make sure, okay, forget about the slavery, which definitely assured it, but in case we want to make sure that the Jews never become so entrenched in Egypt that they don't want to leave, because we've had this experience. When the Jews come back to build the second temple, a huge majority of the Jewish people do not leave Babylonia. They're happy, they're settled, they're part of the culture, they have their Torah, they have their stuff. So, it, so one of the things that Yosef is giving the message to his children this is not our place. We will never be, this is never going to be our place. And when you leave, it's not practical. You're not going to be able to get me out of Egypt now. Please take me with you. And essentially we end up having these two tzaddikim. I'm sorry, I'm taking one more minute of your time. We end up having two tzaddikim who are tied to the Jewish people who are in two positions to help them. We have Yaakov, who is buried in the land of Canaan who stands as, you know, like some, the, the measure says, he stands like when you see somebody drowning and you stand on firm ground and you throw a lifeline to them so you could pull them in, that's Yaakov. He's in the land of Canaan and he's there advocating for his children. And you have Yosef who is buried in Mitzrayim. He's in exile. He's a place for the, for the people of Israel to come and to daven and to say, Abish, Yosef, you got it. Pull some strings. We got to get out of here. This is enough. This is enough. This is enough. So we have two tzaddikim who actually, help the people in different ways, one who stays with them and one who is on this on the solid ground ready to pull them out. And this is where our parsha ends, where Yosef is actually buried and he's put in, he, they bomb him and they put him into Egypt. And really, 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 that is the biggest consolation for the Jewish people, that Yosef stays with them. He doesn't leave them. In case you want to say, oh, everybody's leaving and we got stuck here by ourselves. No, Yosef's like, I'm here with you. I'm going to stay with you. You might say, oh, practical reasons you couldn't take him, but spiritually, Yosef is there with them, giving them strength while they're in while they're in exile, and while they're suffering, he's there and he's like, and he gives them the promise: "We are going to leave. I promise you. And when you leave, take me with you." And that's where our parsha ends, and that's where our chumash ends. I want to give us one last bracha, one last bracha. Why not? Right? I give one last bracha that wherever we need to 
pull our strength from, whether we pull our strength from somebody who's the tzaddik who's standing on firm ground and pulling us out, or whether we go to kivrei tzaddikim, to people, we should we should know that wherever we are, we are never alone. We are never alone, no matter where we are. I'm not saying walk down dark alleys by yourself without, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying that. But we need to know that wherever we are, and whenever we're in a place of struggle, whenever we're in a place of doubt of what I should do or where I should go or what I should do, we should know that we always have support, whether it's somebody who's there throwing us a lifeline, whether it's somebody, a tzaddik who's davening for us, where whether it's the people that we love who are our support system, who are cheering us on, whether the people we need to, we need to reach out for the support that we have. It's always, always, always there. And whenever we think we can't do it on our own, we probably cannot, but we are not on our, but we are not on our own. And that's really what I want us to remember that no matter where it is, you're never, we are never, ever, ever alone. We should have the most amazing, amazing clarity to know where we are, what we are, who we are, where we need to go. And I say it all the time, encourage to step into that space. Have an awesome rest of the day.